Hello, I'm Ragnil Wesenberg and this is the Musician's Journey podcast where I talk with musicians about their experiences and everyday life and bumps in the road and taxes and stuff. I'm a cellist, not a producer, and the audio quality varies a bit from episode to episode. If you anyway enjoy listening and would like to offer me something in return, you can make a donation via my page on Coffee, which I'll link to in the show notes. If you want some refreshing musical input, I've recently put together a playlist on Spotify called The Musician's Journey Podcast, with music by some of the guests I've had the pleasure to talk to. And that includes today's guest, Isabel Anderson. Isabel Anderson um, and I am the founder and director I guess you'd say of the Female DIY Musician which is an online resource that helps women to learn to record their music produce their music with the um, intention of you know eventually releasing it too and the mission behind it is that you know to kind of rebalance the representation of women in the music industry um, but outside of the industry too, just to help women um, feel more agency and control over expressing themselves in music. Um, and there's a podcast that is part of that called Girls Twiddling Knobs, which is on the one hand um, guest interviews with women who make music with technology, but also um, like solo interviews that I do where I kind of discuss a particular topic like sound synthesis or using social media or, you know, different things like that. Um, and then also there's a online course that's part of it too called Home Recording Academy, which I open twice a year, um, might only be opening it once a year this time. And it's a whole, you know, uh, six modules course on learning to record your music from home for women. But prior to that, I did a PhD in Sonic Arts at the Sonic Arts Research Centre. And I have also self-released and self-produced four albums of my own music which have gone into a mass um well over 25 million spotify streams now so um that's the kind of that's my bedrock and then now i'm supporting other women in their journey yes what does it mean to have a phd in sonic arts um well <laughs> can mean many different things to different people i mean for some people, that's, you know, hardcore developing coding and algorithms to create 
you know, new ways of making music. For me, it was about interrogating identities of self and their dialogues with identities of place through the medium of sound. So um, that's that was mainly using field recording and experimental studio techniques, electroacoustic composition and voice and words to explore identities of self and place, basically. Where does your musical journey start? Um, well, I it was definitely at school. Um, I was lucky that my school had things like a choir and a, I think it might have even, did it even have an orchestra? I don't think it did. Um, but I definitely was in like a wind ensemble and they also did musicals every year. Um, so I was lucky that there were those kinds of opportunities and that's when I started to sing and I naturally was good at singing and but also just felt you know the most myself that I felt anywhere else you know so it, I immediately kind of felt something fitted into place there so that was how I started learning music and then started writing music predominantly through songs um, but then went on to do a degree in um, music, kind of more avant-garde experimental music. Um, so that's how I got into it. Was it a streamlined process or were there some bumps in the road or where you felt you were headed? Um, I think, I mean, I think in comparison to lots of people I meet, it was fairly streamlined because, you know, I... I did GCSE music, A-level music, did a degree, had three years working in arts admin and then did an MA and then did a PhD. And then I spent the last uh, seven years building up the female DIY musician. So um, in some ways it is quite, it has been quite a straightforward process in that regard. In other ways, not so much. Um, I've definitely had to always be creating my own thing. So hence getting into self-releasing, self-producing um on the one hand it's just who I am I'm kind of wired up that way I like making stuff on and on the other hand it's been that as a woman I have found it harder to just come across open doors and so you know you, you do have to be cutting a path in sort of unusual directions to not be held back um from sometimes So like in, in comparison to some people, it's been pretty straightforward. But then, uh, yeah, it's definitely had its own forks in the road and roadblocks too. I felt I've had a pretty clear direction as well, but it took me a long time to actually become aware of what direction I was in. I was, <laughs> it was like starting with music as a child and I just found myself studying it at some point and I hadn't really been considering other things. And to me, it's been a very fascinating time since my studies, or maybe it started even during my studies of kind of waking up and asking, what am I doing and why am I doing this? And how are others doing this? And uh, I'm still really fascinated uh, by Like certain things that I think a lot of people are more aware of earlier than I was, like how to actually make money from it, for example. That wasn't really something I was thinking about at all. And I've had to figure it out now recently. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's funny because like when when I was about 16, I remember I was doing loads and loads of gigs. I was very lucky and I just met some great people in my local town and um they were you know a little bit older than me and were a few steps ahead of me and it meant I got some gigs and at that time suddenly I had all this money and I'm not talking about loads of money but suddenly I had more money than I'd ever had before and um and I think yeah so that it was kind of interesting that that happened but I was very aware that of the you know that some of the reasons for that like we were playing a particular kind of music it was mainly blues and middle-aged people like blues music middle-aged people have money so I was quite aware that you know I could have been playing a different kind of music and not been making money um 
but then I went to uni and I was like very very happy for it to be totally uh separate from money I was there to become a better artist and that's all I cared about but I don't think it's because I had no you know I had no interest or I had no kind of the money wasn't a thought at all it was just that I was resigned to the fact that artists don't make money you know that was my belief Hmm. um and that if you want to make money out of something then you'll have to compromise on your artistry and it will have to become a skill or an entertainment rather than an art so you know that that was the belief that I had definitely um hence why you know when I left university I went straight into admin because uh you know the kind of stuff that I was making wasn't gonna earn me much money is that still the case uh I mean yeah like if I if I wanted to rely on making money just out of me making whatever music I like yeah that's still the case yeah um I've been lucky in that I have earned some money from my music over the years I've earned more money than some people and a lot lot less than others but yeah I think uh, yeah I I think it's a very 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 uh, unpredictable and ever-evolving landscape for artists in terms of making money out of their work did you then find something relatively stable but within the area of music making no no (laughs) (laughs) it's been very it's been very turbulent like um so I yeah so I left uni I worked for three years in arts admin in London but I wasn't being paid enough to barely make the rent you know I was really struggling I wouldn't have uh, I'd have like maybe 20 quid left over at the end of the month to go and grab a drink with a friend that was it and then I went and did my MA and then I had even less money because I got a scholarship to study for the MA but then no money to actually exist and live so I was literally busking to pay for my supermarket groceries every week and then after that did my PhD and that was kind of the most secure I'd been but that still that the scholarship money was enough to live on but it was never you know something you could save on or make future plans on or anything so it was some stability for like three years but it was still compared to most people my age especially that was uh not like earning a living you know and then after that I, I graduated and I had really, really bad health problems. So I was then on benefits for a year and then on the, a very, very low income on just what I could scrape together with the limited work I could do. And then it's only been the last year that I've been fully independent in my business um, and things have kind of started to uh, stabilise, you know, but that's after a, 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 a enormous amount of work an enormous amount of work you know um so no it hasn't at all been stable or anything like that but you know I I don't regret my my path so far and I feel like I've developed ways of kind of really um yeah like building like I say building something that's financially stable hopefully but that also is genuinely really needed and really impacts women in particular in the industry. When I took a look at your homepage earlier today and got uh, an impression of your activities as an artist, I was so fascinated by how you combine music with politics and history and communities. And the question came to me regarding where or if you draw a line between your artistic work and your personal life, so to say? Hmm. Well, that's a good question. I think that um I think that as I've got older, there is more of a line between my music and my personal life. I think when I was younger, it was very much one and of the same thing. Music was really the best way I knew how to express and understand my personal life. And then I think as I've gotten older and as my personal life has become more stable (laughs) Um, (laughs) I've I've had the kind of energy to turn that lens you know more outside of myself I think so 
hence why there's you know there's the I'm a life music video campaign I did with Alliance for Choice about abortion rights in Northern Ireland yeah which is great by the way I looked at it today and it was uh, I I recommend checking it out Mm. Thank you. Yeah, no, um, that was a wonderful project to do and something I felt really passionate about. And actually, we, it happened before they changed the law in Northern Ireland. So it was still illegal to have an abortion when we made that. So it meant a great deal to me and other people, obviously. Um, but there's also the yeah, the Sailor Town project that I did, which was about um, the dockside area of Belfast that got knocked down and um kind of disappeared in the 60s because of the m2 motorway building yeah there's like various projects i've done i guess that engage with like you say politics community like you know as my phd indicates i'm interested in self like how we identify ourselves or how we how we construct an identity of self and also how identities of place get constructed too and so, yeah, I think I think that my music has always had that on a personal level. But now the older I get, it has it more on a wider level, too, I think. Yeah, the this Belfast project you mentioned, the, you and Fiona Fagan wrote an article about it as well. And there you, you drew the line because uh, they asked you if you could write letters to the council of Belfast on their behalf right and you you declined and you said that as artists you felt like rather you know raising awareness instead yeah I think you know also it's not our expertise you know and and it wasn't the role that we were kind of invited to be involved with the project in so I think it just I think that project was a it's a good I mean hopefully that article is a good discussion on how complex it can be when you're working on a community project like that that has such a political you know mission behind it or or political undertones at least and like people's agendas and expectations and uh yeah it's it's complex and you have to treat it with a lot of consideration and yeah. and people with a lot of respect as well yeah no i i've deleted my facebook account twice because i would just open up about all kinds of you know my my opinions and thoughts and and now when I made a third account I put a cellist in my name just to remind me okay now I'm just going to be there as a cellist Mm -hmm. and make things just a little easier for myself and my whole profile is just music related things and I'm yeah just avoiding getting into political stuff and uh, and uh, sometimes it feels like I do that to save myself some time and energy and to make things more practical for me. And on the other hand, I think, oh, am I, am I chickening out somehow? You know, maybe it would be nice if everyone felt free to voice their opinions. It's not like I don't feel free to do it. It's just become the the easy thing to do. Yeah, I think you, um, of course, everyone is you know, free in our cultures, let's say, to voice their opinions online. It's whether it feels like it's actually going to be constructive. Yeah. And you can be free to do it and it still isn't constructive. It still isn't going to lead to a very considered nuanced conversation. And, you know, this is something I've had to really think about a lot with running the female DIY musician because I'll advertise, for example, like a free workshop or a challenge that I'm running. And I will always, without fail, have a variety of people, particularly white men, say that it's sexist, that it's not for men, for example, or that it's not true that women are disadvantaged when it comes to production and the music industry. Um, All the way through to, you know, people who women who don't like the fact that I am making it a, a space for trans women too. Oh, wow. You know? Really? So like I have, yeah, I have had the whole spectrum and then trans, trans women feeling, um, you know, like having different, like different trans women having different ideas of the kind of language I should use to make it inclusive. <laughs> and yeah. then some people saying, you know, uh, but what about non-binary people? And, you know, and, and so I think, what I've learned is that, you know, I, if someone comes to me and I really do feel I can get a sense that they they genuinely want to engage with that conversation, 
um, then I will have it with them. And I usually have it in a DM or in an email. Whereas if somebody comes and I can sense that they they just want to stir the pot, they just want to get a rise, I just delete the comment. Mm. And it's because it's I know it's not going to lead somewhere constructive. You know, and they can say whatever they want on their profile. I'm not censoring them. Yeah. It's just I know it's not going to be constructive. Wherever I've had some really, really constructive conversations, but they usually take place in my DMs or in my email account. Yeah. Um, and I've had some conversations where either I or the other person has said, do you know what? I actually think really differently about this now. I'm really glad we had this conversation. But it's really hard to have that in public, in front of people, in comments. So... I, I I wouldn't feel bad for not wanting to have those big political um, conversations on your Facebook feed. Yeah. That's fine. <laughs> yes. Yeah. When you say deleting a comment, are you talking about Instagram? Yeah, Instagram and Facebook mainly, yeah. Because that's those are the two main platforms that I kind of share my stuff on, really. Just because that's where most people especially most women are hanging out is there. And I like those platforms more than Twitter or something like that. Right. You have a whole, a whole uh, podcast episode on social media, but would you like to also share some of your thoughts here? Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I mean, is there something, um, any angle that you've picked up in the podcast episode that you think would be interesting to unpack here? You put it pretty clearly how one can approach it to create meaningful content Mm, yeah yeah I think this is a really important thing to consider as a musician a lot of the time musicians will kind of say I don't like social media you know I don't know what to post I don't want to have to post my breakfast and I'm Mm. thinking well I don't want to see your breakfast (laughs) like that's fine (laughs) yeah however you can approach social media from a much more creative point of view and you can I always say to people like start by thinking of three qualities that your music brand or identity or however you want to put it what are those three core qualities that really tell your story and then with those three qualities you can also have like branches of three sub qualities for example make it more kind of complex but definitely have those three qualities and then base your posts around those qualities so if your music is warm and fuzzy and emotional let's say well use those qualities to think about the colors the the textures the language the sounds the you know the the images and the conversations that that would that those qualities encapsulate and then base your posts around that rather than just random posting about breakfast and things um yeah you also said in your episode something about you don't want to see someone's account as being a collage of their achievements mm. i think and that really woke up something in me because that's i think what i see all the time yeah and maybe what I feel I should be doing as well I should only post something when there is some kind of achievement I've I've made yeah and you know that's understandable and I think I see I see it a lot on social media and it you know I'm very I'm very upfront about this in the podcast episode I feel all the social comparison all the feelings of you know that I'm not keeping up that I failed in some way like it, it's quite toxic I think if all we're posting is I did this thing or I won this award or I got this funding whatever and of course it's good to share that as an artist mm. um, it gives you you know a kind of social proof that you are doing this you are committed to it you are working hard you are um, you know hitting some of those goals but it's also really important to to yeah like sh- share posts that are about your values as an artist and I I don't mean values as in just like worthy political causes or social justice but like things like warmth or things like um it could even be uh distance you know if your work explores distance why is that what is that what does that mean for other people and start those conversations with your followers and not just be kind of shouting this is all the reasons I'm awesome at them 
but actually starting a dialogue around the world of your music identity you know yeah because that's hopefully what your music does too you know hopefully when when people come to your gigs it's not a oh wow I'm just so impressed by all the things they've achieved it's oh wow I love how warm and emotional and how how fuzzy and warm I feel just listening to the way that bass sounds and the way that their voice just glides over the melody lines and you know or I love how cold and distant and sharp that is because that makes me think this or feel this that's the experience of your music so you can have that kind of tumble into your social media as well just in a different way but in a fun way like that's that's much more fun thinking about how can I communicate that on my on my Instagram feed um you know through various different objects images colors conversations etc rather than how do I look really impressive on my Instagram feed but I don't know how to do that How do you make this consistent aesthetics in your post? Is that a feature inherent to Instagram or is it some other program you use that you put in? And how does that work? Well, I mean, I would suggest that if you had your qualities that you've come to, you know, you thought about, then you'd really brainstorm, right? What what do those qualities look like, smell like, taste like? What are the conversations around those qualities? What are the relationships around those qualities? And that you then have some kind of mood board that you just throw all that stuff like objects, images, smells, videos, you know, colours, and you throw all that stuff at that mood board and it helps you to see, right, well, the colours that really seem to gel with my musical identity are, for example, blue, lilac and dusty pink great I'm gonna like just fill my feed with those those types of colors what kind of objects or what kind of aesthetic maybe it's vintage you know 70s um camcorder stuff so you'd everything would be posted with that filter on it so there's ways that you can just drill down into how do I represent these qualities visually but also it could be other things too like I say conversations like when you ask a question what's the question about If one of your, you know, brand like musical identity qualities is emotional connection, maybe a lot of your questions that you're asking your followers is about emotional connection, is about, you know, their their inner lives, their inner emotional experience. For example, does that help? Does that answer that in any way? It's really great and inspiring, but I'm just uh you have to dumb it down even more for me, like specifically in the program you're using or in the software in the app the website you need some some types of skills to find these colors in I mean I'm not a very laptop friendly person myself so to me when I see these things out there Mm. I I am just impressed because that's just something I don't know how to make yeah and, and let me be clear I don't have this going on on my personal slash musician Instagram page because all of my energy goes into the female DIY musician right now. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, but um, it would work. This technique works the best if you pre-plan your content. Mm. So you're not just, you know, three days go by and you think, oh crap, I haven't posted on Instagram. I guess I better throw something up now. Mm that you really plan it in advance and it trust me anyone who's listening to this and says oh yeah right Isabel that sounds like such a ball ache it really isn't as much of a ball ache as just leaving it to whenever you think to do it trust me if you have your posts scheduled out and you've kind of like brainstormed with a, a, a kind of mood board about the types of things you might be posting about um and you know if you're releasing something it can kind of tie in with that um messaging about releasing something too but if you have planned it out and scheduled those posts and you can already see like you can you don't have to have some fancy app even you can just bring up a word doc and put some images together and see how they kind of look color and aesthetic wise um but there are apps that kind of help you do this too tailwind is one But if you if you can see it like that, it's much easier to mm. get a sense for 
actually putting out a consistent aesthetic that really ties in with your musical identity. And I would also recommend that certain days have certain types of posts. So in the female DIY musician, Mondays are always our Monday motivational quote post. And we have a template. We've we've got a template that I've made for that. That is always going to, you know, hit, hit a kind of tone of inspiration, support, motivation, etc. It's Monday. Wednesday's the engagement post where I kind of throw out a bit of a question and start a conversation with people on the thread. Thursday is always about the podcast, pointing people to the podcast. Friday's always a, a, like a photo or a video where it's something a bit more personal or conversational with me. So I know what I'm posting each week and I know the tone of each post and so if I was doing this as a musician I'd be thinking right well maybe Monday is my post where I throw out something a bit more philosophical something I'm thinking about at the moment you know to kind of just put it out there for the week ahead maybe Wednesday is a post where I'm um, sharing some of my process something that's coming up something I've achieved something that I'm enjoying in my music and maybe Friday is a connection post where I'm asking people a question but each of those posts always ties back to those three core qualities yeah that's great I am not gonna make this all about social media but it is a very interesting (laughs) interesting thing it's so new in our evolutionary uh, history (laughs) yeah like it just blew up and we're all, whoa, what is this? What's happening now? And what should I be doing with it? Yeah. But I was really enjoying exploring your homepage. And it made me think about that I've never felt like the type of musician who makes projects. And uh, I've always just preferred to to do my own little things and to take orders from others. I'm good at that. Uh, and when there's been a project involving several people and we were supposed to come up with something and I just haven't been able to really contribute and take initiatives and make something happen. And I'm bringing this up because it looks like many of the artists I know are making projects and they are applying for funding for them. And you seem to be very much able to combine like a sociopolitical situation with with music and video and installation and art and you sing and you play and you produce. And so my question is, do you think that you're either kind of born with this or not? Or do you think that's more to do with breaking free from I feel I get some kind of single-mindedness from school uh, and like to simply dive into things, even though it might not be our area of experience and expertise. Yeah, I, I think that some people are naturally more kind of, uh, let's say, just naturally more interested or excited by those types of projects where you're collaborating or you're working on the kind of like we're talking about before wider issues that definitely wasn't always me you know it really wasn't and I think it wasn't until my mid-20s um that I really started doing any projects like that um I'm not someone who naturally really finds it easy to collaborate I'm really not and I guess the advice I'd give people is, you know, start with working on an issue or a a cause or whatever it is, if if that's the kind of direction you feel you should go in or um, just start with something you really care about, you know, because it makes it so much easier. I think where people and I think artists a lot of the time are kind of almost forced into this is that most of the funding is in projects that engage with community groups, engage with political causes, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's not necessarily true. It depends um, what funding body you're going to. But then I do think it means that a lot of artists kind of have their hands tied and that if they're going to get funding to do a project, it has to engage in a good, you know, worthy cause. And they may not be particularly interested or passionate about it. So... I would definitely kind of think about what what do you care about? What is the stuff that's going on that 
you feel in some way motivated or inspired to kind of make a difference or even just tell that story um and it does make it so much more yeah just much easier and much more fulfilling I have only one regret And that's that I had to travel far away And go through it all alone The hardest way But I am not alone It's a choice I don't take lightly There are many others who have taken this journey like me that you're using and all of I mean when when studying music in my experience we're not really taught how to promote ourselves and to explore video editing and visual design and how to make our homepage look good like there are lots of skills that we feel that suddenly oh wow I should know all these things I better get started somewhere like how was that journey for you Yeah, I mean, I think that I've always enjoyed that side of it, actually. Not to say that I've just been, you know, fantastic at it at all, but I've always enjoyed that. And I've I've taken to it much more naturally than I ever took to, you know, more traditional formal music education, for example. Right. So I have dyslexia and I definitely, I mean, there's been some studies on this, but I definitely think it's affected how easy I found it or hard I found it to learn to read music to remember how to write and read music for example um so there's lots of aspects about learning music that didn't come naturally to me and I had to work really really hard to get my head around them and then forget them again and then relearn them again and then forget Mm -hmm. them again um whereas a lot of the stuff that you mentioned there in your question I I actually really enjoy, you know, so I've always enjoyed making my website. I've always found it interesting, like an interesting challenge, how to market something. Not to say I've always found it easy, but I've always found it interesting. And it's always kind of piqued my curiosity. Um, And it's always been this puzzle of how to kind of get your music or like produce an album, how to make a CD, how to... um, what are the new platforms you can put it out on? You know, all that stuff has always found been interesting to me. I'm not interested very much in networking. I'm really bad at kind of being uh, like putting my face out there and striking up relationships with the right person. I'm not good at that, but I'm, I'm good at kind of um, pulling a project together and doing, you know, learning all the things that I need to learn to to help it come together I guess Hmm. hence why so now like with the female DIY musician the list of the stuff that I do on a day-to-day basis is just enormous you know it's far bigger than even when I've been recording and releasing albums and the amount of stuff I've had to learn is just you know mind-boggling but I've also really enjoyed that as well you're good at persisting. It yes. Sounds like to me. <laughs> I think I am. Yeah, I think I am. And sometimes that's um, 
you know, sometimes that's to my detriment, like, but I'm definitely, I'm someone that if I start something, I'm damn well going to finish it. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. With all these things, how do you plan your days? Well, <laughs> I have my good days <laughs> and my not so good days. Yes. Um, so on a good day, Isabel wakes up at 6am and yes. Isabel does... <laughs> a 45 minute meditation and a half hour walk and is at her desk by 8am and is working through till lunch, has lunch and then works through till five or six and then has dinner with her boyfriend and reads a book in the evening. Sometimes that happens and that's fantastic. Hmm. On a bad day or like a not traditional or like not my ideal day, like today, for example, I woke up at eight I did my 45 minute meditation. I made soup and then I made a salad for later on. Then I had breakfast and watched TV for half an hour. And by the time I sat down at my desk, it was 11. Yeah. And then I've been working, you know, pretty much since then. But it really, yeah, it really depends. But I, I definitely have like systems or things that I do now that keep me spinning all the plates and like managing the stuff that I've got so I always write down what's called your big three which I've learned from Michael Hyatt's full focus planner so I have a full focus planner next to me right now and every single day I write down the three things I absolutely really must get done Um, and they always align with like moving forward as something that I I care about that is a bigger goal you know but I also have lots of systems in my business so that things are kind of as streamlined as possible, um, which I won't go into because it's kind of boring, but um, just ways of making sure things are organised so that I'm saving time in that way. Um, and I'm really meticulous. I try and be really meticulous about keeping my calendar and my diary. And so I've just, I've kind of built in lots of systems now where things are streamlined a lot more. Mm. And um, that has helped me be organised with everything that I have to do. Do you write by hand in a book? Yeah, sometimes I do. So like my my full focus planner here, I have lots of notes I take, you know, but then I also have um, a very kind of thorough system in Google Docs of lots of different types of note taking documents, spreadsheets, you know, Mm. all that kind of stuff too. So I like, I like moving between, but mainly Anything that's important, I will have in a Google Doc so that I don't lose it. And you manage to have some time for non-work things as well. Do you have to schedule those? Yeah. So I now um, I plan out all of my time off at the beginning of the year because up until like last year, I wasn't doing that. And I could sometimes get to the end of the year and only have had a week off. Yeah. So I put it in my diary and I know that at least every three months I'm getting time off. Um, so that's one thing I do. I mean, apart from that, like I I know generally that the evenings and my weekends, I'm not going to be like scheduling meetings or anything. So I might do some work, but I see people then and all that kind of thing. When I took the, I'll do that again. <clears throat> I'm becoming more and more aware of mouth sounds. Yes, <laughs> that happens when you make a podcast. <laughs> it drives me crazy. I know, <clears throat> I know, I so know, yeah. <laughs> I have a really noisy mouth as well, which is really annoying. You know, some people, they have no mouth sounds. I seem to just, oh, it, yeah. it really does my head in. <laughs> I'm so happy whenever I listen to a podcast and I hear mouth sounds and I was like, yes, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> now I must make sure there is some time to talk about your podcast. Girls twiddling knobs. Uh I'm I'm not twiddling knobs myself, but I know that I can listen to any of your episodes and really enjoy it. And there's always right. something useful there and inspiring and and uh what an amazing end of season episode you made from the Abbey Road studio now. Yeah. It was just so wonderful getting an you know audio tour of yeah. of the studio and I felt I was there even though I couldn't see anything. Yeah, no, I mean that was such a lovely 
you know thing to be asked to do and I'm really really grateful that we got that opportunity because yeah it's it's great when you get the chance to do a podcast episode that's a bit more you know experiential or um just not the usual format so I loved I loved getting the chance to do that and I was really glad that I could bring the binaural microphones and record it so that it would sound like you were there with me yeah you know um yeah I wanted to ask about that you did you like pan is that the word I mean how did you manage to get the voices be around me Yeah, so um, it's using binaural microphones, which are basically where you have two microphones in what look like headphone earbuds. I mean, traditionally, binaural recording was done with a dummy head, but now you can also do it with um, two headphones that you use um, and you plug into a recorder. And what it does is it records sound as it travels across your body and your in your head so that and they're called head related transfer functions so it's just the way that sound passes over your body and your head and it will capture exactly the time differences between the ears and how that sound is passing to those microphones so that when you listen back on headphones and this only works on headphones it's like you are the microphones in my ears. So it's like you're hearing the sound exactly as it is. So you don't, it's actually an incredibly simple, but very, very effective type of technology. I don't have to do anything in terms of panning. It just will communicate it to you as the listener, um, almost exactly as if you were there with me. Now it's not exactly because you have a different shaped head, torso, different size, all that stuff, but it's, you know, pretty close. Um, and so the the feeling is is that you are walking where I walked basically. Yeah. No, thank you for that one. It was beautiful. Um, may I ask for your tips on producing a podcast? Like, like how much would you say one should know regarding mixing and mastering? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, I think the good thing is is that you don't have to know that much in terms of mixing and mastering in a in a traditional music sense because when you're editing a podcast it's something very specific it's a voice you know mm-hmm. and a podcast is generally going to be heard in mono because most podcast hosting platforms will just automatically make it mono it, coincidentally that epi- episode 50 at abbey road it made it mono and i didn't realize for weeks ah. um and then somebody pointed it out to me cuz i cuz i will obviously like be listening to the final edit and making sure it's all good but then it uploads to the podcast platform and I didn't realize that it automatically made it mono so I had to go back and like fiddle around with all the settings and make it stereo but there's basically most things will automatically make your podcast mono anyway so unless you need it to be stereo you know that you're going to have one voice maybe two and it's probably going to be mono so that kind of like really filters down all the things you're going to have to know in order mm. to mix and record that um well so really like the best thing is to have a microphone that's going to isolate your voice so a cardioid microphone that's going to be have that directional it's going to pick up your sound in that very direct way um so it's not picking up around and behind the mic so much but in front of it um and there's some great mics now out on the market and you know, like the one I'm using, the Rode NT1 USB. Um, I use all, this one for my interviews because it's a good sort of live streaming one. Um, so this this is about 150 quid and I like it a lot. I use a different microphone, a much more expensive microphone when I'm doing the solo episode stuff, just mm. because I'm then able to use that good quality one. Um, but yeah, so it's just, it's making sure you've got a good quality mic and just knowing a little bit of editing you know being able to cut out um like we were talking before about mouth sounds um and being able to use a bit of eq use a bit of use a limiter so that you can just boost that volume without it peaking and you know once you get those things dialed in then that's what you need to know you know there's all these other things that you could be learning to do with a music related music related production and mixing that you won't need to know for making a podcast right yes I see I was just wondering in case there's someone that's listening who's wondering if if they want to make a podcast themselves I mean can you just say something about how uh, making your podcast has inspired you overall 
Yeah, I mean, most importantly, it's been the interviews, you know, on the personal level, it's been so fantastic to get the chance to meet and talk to so many different women about their practice, their musicianship, their uh, journey as a musician, you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, And their experiences, you know, as people, but also women in the industry. So that's probably the most inspiring thing. But then also the listeners, the people that reach out to me, the people who, um, you know, share their big takeaways from the episodes or their perspectives on what we talk about. Um, And I'm, you know, I feel very, very fortunate that there are people who listen to the podcast and get an awful lot from it. So that I find that incredibly inspiring too. And there will be a season three now coming up. Yes, there will be a season three. So we're putting it together. Um, so, so I'm really glad that now I'm able to work with, um, there's two people I work with in the female DIY musician and Jade is the production assistant for Girls Twiddling Knobs. So me and Jade are putting together season three as we speak mm-hmm. and that should be dropping mid-March, hopefully. Okay. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah. And uh, where would you like people to explore what you're doing? Well, definitely head to um, www.femalediymusician.com. And if you want to go straight to the podcast, just put a forward slash BTK podcast. Um, but I can send you those links um, so that you can put that in the show notes if you want. And if people are interested in my work and my music, then go to isabelanderson.com. Thank you so much for taking the time to, to share your experience with us. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thanks for asking me on. Thanks for listening. Please see the show notes for links to Isabel's music and projects, including her podcast, Girls Twiddling Knobs, which I believe will soon premiere its third season. Isabel has really made a whole world around her podcast. Or perhaps the podcast is a part of the world she's made as an artist and composer. Anyway, I briefly explored how I could make something around my podcast too. I was writing a newsletter and I had bonus clips from each episode. And I was thinking about how I could utilize the platform of coffee the most in order to make some kind of community. But after some months I realized that there are many out there who are very good at doing that, such as Isabel. And I'd rather spend time on my activities as a cellist, really. So what I'm doing now is to release an episode every other week, because I love having these conversations and sharing them with you. And you can buy me a coffee through coffee.com, and that's it really, that's what I'm doing. I'm now in my flat in Stockholm at the moment, I'm drinking sage infusion, and I hear the sounds of storm outdoors. Let me know who you are and if you can recommend me someone to interview. You can find my email address in the show notes and you can also find this podcast on Instagram. I'm not going to say who I'll be talking to in two weeks from now because I don't want to jinx it, but it's going to be another inspiring one for sure. Have a good day and take care.